15 million pieces of PPE were just directly made by the manufacturers that we created pipelines for. We were getting information by the moment's notice. This group needed something, that group needed something. We were putting press releases out that the governor was reading off the next day. Welcome to the first episode of a Life of Climb podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ray, CEO of Vistage, the world's largest CEO coaching and peer advisory organization for small and mid-sized businesses. Every month, I attend my Vistage CEO peer advisory group meeting with 15 other CEOs and business owners. We leave ego at the door and we put our biggest challenges and opportunities right on the table. We pressure test our solutions with peers. And yes, we call each other out. Bringing those learnings to other leaders of small and mid-sized businesses is really the inspiration behind this whole podcast series, A Life of Climb. This is a podcast by CEOs for CEOs. It's a celebration of high integrity leaders who are growing their businesses and actively supporting their families and communities, really in the face of sometimes extraordinary challenges. Each episode of this podcast will be broken down into two blocks. Our first block we call the summiting story where we'll be taken inside the personal leadership journey of a CEO. And this conversation will be guided by the Vistage chair who served as their mentor on the climb. In our second block, we expand the perspective in what we call the 10,000 foot view. Today, we're joined by Ethan Karp, who led a remarkable effort to transform his organization in the face of COVID. He'll take us inside that experience with Vistage master chair, Cheryl McMillan. Then later, I'll join Cheryl to talk about her perspective as the guide for Ethan on this journey. And we'll break down the leadership lessons that CEOs can apply to their unique situations. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, here's Ethan and Cheryl. I'm Cheryl McMillan. I'm a master chair with Vistage International. I've been a chair for 16 years. I describe a chair's role as encompassing many roles. Sometimes I'm a confidant, sometimes I'm supporter, sometimes I'm a master question asker, sometimes I'm a kick in the butt. So it's really about determining what does my member need now most at this time. I'm smiling because of the kick in the butt role. All of our members would agree with this. And I, I, think, I think half of the members in the group are specifically in the group because Cheryl holds them accountable in a way that no one else does. I'm Ethan Karp, CEO of Magnet, Manufacturing Advocacy and Growth Network. We are a nonprofit located in Cleveland, serving all of Northeast Ohio. And our mission is to strengthen an economy that relies on manufacturing. The United States relies on manufacturing, but Northeast Ohio, 50% of the economy relies on the 20% of manufacturing jobs literally one out of every two jobs. So what we do is we actually go in and help hands-on consult for companies. So we're a service business, nonprofit mission. We go help them design machines and adopt the latest technologies. We help them think through operations plans and marketing plans. And then we do this thing with the community where we bring folks together to help solve these really, really intractable workforce issues that no single company can solve themselves beautiful part of Vistage is I've both learned about manufacturing and how manufacturers think. And on the other hand, learned from my service organization peers, how to run a more high performing organization. So we are definitely weird in that way, but we have all the same problems and issues, plus perhaps a few more because I just have so many 
stakeholders in the world that we have to deal with. And you'll hear about many of them that came into play as we were responding to the crisis in PPE. So let's go back to COVID. When you guys started this journey of making the PPP equipment, it was relatively early in the shutdown. I know there was a lot of uncertainty business-wise if businesses were going to survive. People were scared of the disease if they were going to get it. Hospitals were being overwhelmed. So it was a very, very scary time. It was absolutely terrifying for everyone. I think that for many, jobs were third on the list of sort of physical safety. Uh, can I go outside? Can I go to the grocery store? Is my business going to get shut down and will it open again? Are grocery stores going to have toilet paper? That was what was happening at this time. And everybody was watching the news from all their governors of when they were going to shut down. New York City at this time was already being overrun and their hospitals had totally filled up. So we were anybody thinking about the country was thinking about the massive death toll that could happen. Anybody who was thinking of their own physical safety was thinking, and if I get sick, I can't go to the hospital. What do I do? One of my vice presidents came to me and said, hey, Ethan, well, one of the hospitals wants me to 3D print a ventilator part. And we do know 3D printing, but we do not know hospitals. But there's this big hospital asking us to 3D print. Well, I didn't think anything of it, but thank goodness I said, sure. One of our values, one of our cultural elements is personal growth. And this person coming to me seemed to have passion around it. I said, absolutely. It was totally an offhanded yes. What an impactful yes it was. Because it was about five days after that, that we started seeing the newspapers of the PPE shortage in New York City. And we saw nurses wearing garbage bags. And that's when we said, why can't we make some of this stuff? And it was not a week later that the state was shut down, all of our work stopped, and we repurposed our entire staff to focus on responding to what eventually became known as the Ohio Manufacturing Alliance to Fight COVID-19, a massive statewide collaboration across dozens of nonprofits to retool, remake, refocus our huge manufacturing base to make all of the life-saving PPE that was going to be required over those very dicey first few months. So this is where all of the foundation that you built with all of the relationships came in play. So how did you mobilize all those organizations in a short period of time? Because it was thousands. Literally in my garage, we're, we're making website, we're Passing this Ohio Alliance and the governor announces it to everyone and says, if you're a manufacturer and you can help, go to this website. 2,000 manufacturers later, our entire team are triaging, how can you help? What supplies do you have? Meanwhile, we're talking to the FDA and we're part of the governor's task forces and all of these different pieces to come together to say, how do we actually get real products out? We were getting information by the moment's notice. This group needed something. That group needed something. We were putting press releases out that the governor was reading off the next day. And, you know, the pressure of doing something like that. You mess one line up, you know, get one thing wrong, have one company be told something wrong. There were high stakes going and we made mistakes. We screwed up. But that inner circle of trust, because we had it, people said, no, that's OK. I know you. All is good. That was how we pulled this thing together, relying on these core of folks with relationships to the governor's office, to our manufacturers, to each other, 
to make something really impactful happen. And we did. 15 million pieces of PPE were just directly made by the manufacturers that we created pipelines for. We created a million plastic face shields in five weeks. And for those of you that think, oh, there were lots of face shields everywhere, I agree. That was the easiest thing to produce. But to make a million of them in five weeks required that we didn't 3D print them. We were making them at very competitive prices by actually 3D printing molds. We had to use university resources and nine different companies had to make molds at the same time. They worked over Easter. Remember this so vividly. People saying that this is a holy mission for them to work over the holiday, passing the molds from one company to the other that we were coordinating so that they could get these life-saving devices out. When the state needed to reopen, another Vistage member actually in our group was the one who I tapped who has a dental laboratory. He was the one who we talked to and said, we, can we get a whole bunch of 3D printers to your shop so you can 3D print the nasal swabs when we get from our connection with another relationship, the exact print so that the day it comes out, we can be the first out of the gate. In fact, we stripped the 3D printing company of all of its printing capabilities to make these nasal swabs because we bought them early. And this very pioneering Vistage member actually took the risk on it. And he started making hundreds of thousands of nasal swabs, which is the reason why Ohio was able to open. We sent tanker trucks worth of hand sanitizer all across the state to community groups. The cotton face masks are still being made in the millions right now from automated equipment that we designed and built during the height of this pandemic. That was after we realized that it was unsustainable to use 1,700 Amish workers to hand make masks. It was both too slow and just a logistical supply chain nightmare. This yeah. is what uh, can, can, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. Can you talk about then the impact on Ohio's economy just from the masks, about how you move some manufacturing business back to Ohio permanently? Manufacturers need four things. They need talent. All right. Well, we're doing lots of stuff. It's really complicated. They need technology and automation because that is what allows us to reshore product. That's when Biden talks about, you know, bringing back jobs it's going to happen because we are able to have technology that advances us. Third thing I talk about is new products and the innovation. And the fourth thing I talk about is the leadership. Innovation ranked among the lowest of priorities of manufacturers in January of 2020 by a multi-hundred person survey that we take every year. And literally three months later, companies like this mass producer were totally retooled, making millions of pieces of personal protective equipment. And they were doing it because we designed the automation for them that was able to do it at a price competitive to overseas. And that means they can continue making masks, assuming we need masks. But certainly in the meantime, while the market is being flooded now back with overseas products, it's the state of Ohio and others are purchasing locally made masks because they're price competitive with this technology. Well, I remember when you were right in the middle of all of that without you paying attention to the foundations of the business, you could have never taken advantage of this opportunity. You built the culture, you had the right team in the place, you worked on yourself, and you worked on your skill of collaboration with many, many different organizations. And all of that came together in COVID that allowed you to make that sudden shift and help 
all those people that you helped, not only the first responders with the PPE, but by bringing jobs back, more manufacturing into Ohio to stay. So after experiencing COVID and the pivot that you did, what do you think is next for you? I think the organization realizes how much good it can do. Because even though there's thousands of companies and we're a small organization, we know that what we saw happen in COVID and producing PPE, if we could do that for something like technology, Northeast Ohio, Cleveland, the nation would be in a better spot. So it gives us that hope, gives us that excitement that we can do amazing things when we work together. This episode of a Life of Climb podcast is brought to you by Vistage, the world's largest executive coaching and peer advisory organization. As a CEO or owner of a smaller mid-sized business, you've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go it alone? What if you could journey with an experienced guide and an elite team of peers who've got your back? With that kind of support, how high could you climb? Vistage has been helping leaders reach new heights for more than 60 years. It's a proven, time-honored approach that can help you, too. Learn more about Vistage and discover more leadership resources at Vistage.com. And now, back to our episode. Welcome back. We're talking with Cheryl here. In this segment that we call the 10,000-foot view, this is where we really try and understand various perspectives from the members that we deal with. And we've been talking with Cheryl and her member, Ethan. Cheryl? When you first started working with Ethan, he seems like such an interesting person. Tell, tell, me, tell me about him. <laughs> well, Ethan is definitely unique because he's very intelligent. It was his first role as leading an organization. He came from McKinsey as a consultant, yeah. and he came into a turnaround. So he had to figure out how to put the basics, all of the foundation, back in a business. What were some of the things Ethan faced right away that made it such a difficult task? Well, changing the culture. I mean, that's, that's always difficult. And then figuring out how to start putting the right people in the right place. You know, who do I do first? What's the best pace to do that? You know, it's not like everybody can wave a magic wand and suddenly all the perfect staff's in place. Mm, I wish. It does not work that way, does it? No, and it can't be done all at once because it's too much of a change for the organization. To, so to figure out where to start and how fast to do it, and then at the same time while he's doing that, is what kind of culture does he want to build, and how does he start to do that? When you talk about this thing that happened in his business, I say this big event where Suddenly, this big idea comes from one of his people, his VPs, on this 3D printer for a ventilator part, which wasn't part of the core business. And I love how humble he is when he says, you know, I wasn't even paying attention. I sort of nodded and said, yes. What was it about the culture? Because when he says it, it just makes it sound so basic. But I think there's so many cultures that idea would never be brought up. What was it about the culture that allowed somebody to bring it up? Well, he had worked very, very hard, and he continues to work hard on on building the culture. So first of all, he made it safe for people to bring 
wild ideas and given pretty direct feedback. So that was already in place. There was no fear from the staff about approaching him on anything. So he built the foundation with the culture. So there was safety and challenging, safety in giving him feedback, safety in new ideas. And then the other part is, as he started to see that his personality was driven by external validation, he could manage that. And so he wasn't personally threatened with somebody challenging him. So I think it was the combination of those two things that made that possible. When you think about this crazy last year with COVID, I wondered how you were advising your members on this in terms of like 2001 and 2009. How did this feel different? Because that, that's what was coming to me right when it happened. I'd been a CEO during both of those periods. Well, I'd like to say it's my great foresight, but it's not. It, what, we'll call it that. Let's say that's okay. it. No? <laughs> okay. So in the fall of 2019, you know, things were going really, really well for everybody. So I came in on an executive session and I said, we're going to do an exercise. Let's assume you wake up tomorrow and 20 to 30% of your business is gone. What would you do? Wow. So I put them in groups and they started working out the different components of the plan, the financial plan, the communication plan, how are they going to address customers and the market. So I think that's those exercises that help them think that way so they're not caught by surprise. And we talked about when they went through seven and eight, what did they learn, what worked, what didn't work, what would they do differently. So we brought all those together in a discussion and it wasn't six months later, who knew they'd need Pulled that off plan. their disaster recovery plans out from, those, right, from that session. Right. But I think it's always good to have an idea of if a crisis happens, how are we going to react? When it's, it's created in a time where there's clarity, there's no pressure, you can kind of think about it. And so got that in place and can tweak it when the crisis hits. But if it, we have to come up with what are we going to do in the middle of the crisis when emotions are high and decisions need to be made quickly, it's much more difficult. You know, we noted how if somebody's vulnerable, it's amazing how quick trust is connected, oh, yeah. right? Because we, we yeah. can all get there. Is that something you see as a requirement for CEOs to really get to the point of helping each other out? We've all got to be vulnerable. Absolutely. First of all, that's how people are going to connect when they see that their leaders are real, including all their fears, all of their weaknesses. By sharing that, it makes it safe for others to share the same thing. And we see them as human not just this robot who never has any feelings and is always putting on on the face. And I think, you know, as far as getting the most out of Vistage, it only happens when people are vulnerable and put their most sensitive and vulnerable issues out there. Seems like such a challenge as a chair with that being the fact um, of how you bring the best out of people, because it seems like CEOs sort of come 
purpose-built to not do that, you know, to, to start with, a, uh, just as you described, a personality. If I got it handled, don't worry, I'm invincible. What, how do you get him to that point? I, mean, I, know, that, I know that's what's so <laughs> unique about Vistage. How do you get him there? That's what our master chairs are the best at. Just start asking him questions. And I might share some things personally so they can see I'm doing it to make it safe for them to do it. Mm. So it's role modeling the vulnerability. And then I just start asking questions. And a lot of times it's just this floodgate opens up because they've never had anybody to share all of all of the challenges of being a leader because it really is lonely on the top. And now they've found at least one person who they can share everything with. And the exciting of being able to do that with other members in the same position is like a relief. You talk about how leaders, um, or at Vistage, we talk about how leaders are whole people. What we are saying, you know, the person of the office has to be the same person as they are at home. Otherwise, that dissonance creates all sorts of stress in their life. Yeah. You you talked about this with um, Ethan's connected his company culture to his own personal journey to mental mm-hmm. and physical health, right? Mm-hmm. Can you expand right. on that a little bit? Because it sounds like that's a theme for you to really help people bring that together. When a member says, you know, I really want to put into a company purpose. Then I go back and I start with, okay, so imagine that you're 90 years old. You're sitting on your front porch and you're looking out, you know, the beautiful scene and you're thinking, you know, I really had impact. I really made a difference. What did you do? Great question. I want to know what's important for them personally. And then identify some of their personal values, and I've got a checklist they can go through to get them thinking. And then it's like, how can you tie your personal purpose and values into the company? Because that connection is what creates meaning and fulfillment in leaders. If they can't see every day, like me, you know, the purpose of helping people become better leaders. If I couldn't see that in every day, I wouldn't be near as fulfilled as I am. And it goes the same thing with the leader's personal purpose. They've got to be able to see every day that connection to that personal purpose. And when you say they've got to be able to see that, tell me more about that. Is that because that's where they get inspiration? That's where they have focus? That's where their skills are? How would you describe that? It's where the meaning comes from, and it's where the personal and the professional come together so they can be authentic, and it reduces the stress of being who they are not. Mm. Reduces the stress of being who they are not. That should be on the wall of every CEO leadership training program. Cheryl. Thanks so much for your time today. Great wisdom, great insights, and it's clear that you take a lot of joy in the success of your members. Really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you for asking me, and I always love bragging about the accomplishments of my members. Thank you for joining us on this first episode of a Life of Climb podcast, and special thanks to Ethan and Cheryl for sharing their insights. This is only the start of the journey we'll be taking together. So please subscribe to follow the podcast to get all of the latest episodes. 
Visit vistas.com slash climb podcast for more resources to support you on your own leadership journey.